Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Good afternoon, Paul. You look uh, fresh. You're ready to go. Good trip. Records. Kid got all on a, the kid stuff. Kids got beach. on. Uh, kid got on a go kart. Is now not afraid. Of, uh, a not afraid of driving, and B wants to be a race car driver. So uh, that's a little scary. Big developments this weekend, then yeah. or last week. If you wanted to scare him away from David that, just Reed, go yeah. search uh, race car crashes and just show him that. Maybe he'll be frightened <laughs> from that after realizing for, he's for not a go kart anymore. For the time being, when he said, "Hey, uh, I'm not scared of driving like I used to be before," when I've got friends whose kids do not want to drive when they reach driving age i'm taking that as a win that hitting a gas pedal and touching a brake occasionally and steering is exciting to him i want that that has been a uh, a huge difference in this generation versus i mean and it happened like mid-generation i feel like where you turn 16 and you don't automatically Want that Go license. after the the license. I mean, I, I remember trying. Uh, there were friends of mine in high school that would try to sneak around and come up with a reason to get a hardship at fifteen. Yeah, yeah. just for the sake of being able to show it off, there's like a, like you would uh, either a, a a fake ID or something. I think there's uh, like a, a new timidity, but also this ability that you can hang out in different ways. Like uh, you can FaceTime, and so you don't need to drive over to somebody's house, and that's taken away a lot more than any of us would have predicted but uh something a switch flipped in him that i'm i was happy happy to see i fear for the youth if they confuse <laughs> they don't want to drive <laughs> actual physical freedom with virtual freedom that you get on the internet they are and mistaken. virtually on a phone they are mistaken. because that feeling of i can get in freedom, my car and drive freedom. across town to my buddy's house to get out of the house or go meet up with some girl at a parking lot somewhere was unbelievable at yeah. 16 years old. I remember at 15, my grandfather buying me a 1989 Jeep Cherokee and letting me drive it around the yard to practice with him. And when I wasn't getting everything right away, I'm thinking, I'm lost forever. If I can't drive right when my friends are driving, it's going to be such a disappointment. i got to get this thing down pat so I can be just let loose at and that point. And Simon's best friend lives literally across town. Like, on the other side of Nashville. So I want him to covet, like, I want to be able to go yeah. to his place. I want him to be able to come uh, to my place. I have another critique of, of the Gulf Coast, <laughs> uh, which you guys know I've, I've come to like, but is still not my favorite. I'm a wave fighter who wants to be in big waves in the Atlantic. And for the final three days of our time, well, certainly the last day, so... Wednesday and Thursday were washes because there was huge seaweed. So we just weren't interested in going in, and we had access to two pools. So the kids were in the pools most of the time when they were in the water. I just didn't swim those two days. Friday, the seaweed was down a little bit, 
And, and so we just toughed it out because the waves were good for gulf waves, and we wanted to ride waves again. But there was a red flag up. And so I figured red flag, got to look out for Simon and the littler kids in particular. There was nothing that would have prompted a red flag. I mean, it was what would have amounted in the Atlantic to a mild day. I was pushed off of my spot by two waves in two hours. This is creating fear in people on the Gulf Coast that would make them think the Atlantic was like, uh, you know, experiencing a tsunami. Why would you put up a red flag when there's absolutely, there's no undertow whatsoever, no pull. The waves, you know, are in an area where I'm crouching the whole time to be underwater. But if I'm standing up, it's between my hip and my, you know, mid rib. And it's got no pull, no violence to it whatsoever. Why you would put up a red flag to instill fear in people is beyond me. Do you think they it- want people to be afraid of something that there is nothing to be afraid of. But you can still get out there with a red flag. It's just yes. like risk. double red flag, you get $500. I would hope a double red flag is warranted because if you're keeping me out of the water for something that is not warranted, I would be really pissed. But a red flag, there was absolutely no... I'm not a super strong swimmer, but I like to fight waves. And there was nothing that warranted a red flag on the day that I was in with the red flag. I hear that and immediately think that if they had the double red flag where you couldn't get out there, it's just because a lifeguard called in sick. Well, they're in their lifeguards. <laughs> like, oh, well, yeah, there's no one there that's a lifeguard? No. Oh. I mean, it's a then private it beach matter. that's limited you know, to the oh, private people. Beach. Very nice. Well, it's limited to the people who are in the houses and condominiums of gotcha. the neighborhood. Maybe it's like the, uh, the NFL stadiums, like a certain mile radius. They have to delay the game, even if it's not like – in your area. area. Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. I would I, hope that for their There's got to be a good reason for it, that. Because it was weak. Or they were too lazy to go just take down the, the red flag. I would have taken I it down. I lean towards that direction. <laughs> I would have happily taken it down for them. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Birmingham was uh, another big success for, for OutKick the Tailgate, thanks to all involved, including uh, the USFL and all the guests, uh, WWE and, and everyone else that made it uh, a big success. Chad and I had a blast 
And uh, I know everyone uh, there uh, behind the scenes did as well. Very well done on behalf of the league. And we'll be back in, what, three weeks, Chad? Yeah, three weeks for the championship game. We know the the playoff field the is playoff set. is set with one week to go in the championship regular season. Championship game's not in Canton. The semifinals are in Canton? Both, Both are in Canton. Yeah. Semifinals and championship will be in Canton. Uh, it was a rare day, Hutton, where we had double-digit guests, I believe, over the course of two hours, and everyone... On time. Everyone showed up. Uh, it was one after the other. We had, uh, Paul, we were sitting in the middle, and there was a spot open to the right and a spot open to the left, and we alternated Who guests. And we would be facing one, and you would just feel someone sit next to you, <laughs> and I'd turn around and double-check, oh, that's Carmella from WWE. So then Hutton would throw it to me, and I'd introduce our next guest. Then he would turn, and someone would sit next to Hutton, and then he would turn around and introduce them. It was, a, it was a fun day. And, yeah, big thanks to USFL, WWE, everyone, Fox, Fox Sports, NBC Sports, mm-hmm. with Paul Burmeister, who came down from the booth to join us also. A really well-orchestrated, well-organized show. And we're thankful when people show up on time like that and you can do something like that for two hours. It was great. Game five in the NBA tonight between the Warriors and the Celtics. We'll, we'll preview that a bit later. We know the Stanley Cup final is set between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado well, Avalanche. Just couldn't get it done. Uh, both of those storylines we, we can discuss uh, throughout today's show from the weekend. Also, big storyline uh, across the weekend. Number one in the country is out for the College World Series. Tennessee loses uh, two out of three games in the deciding game yesterday to Notre Dame. And the Irish move on to the College World Series. And number one is done when... There were huge expectations on what was a, a very uh, easy team to follow if you got into college baseball this year. They were they were stacked. And that doesn't always mean success. And there's an empty feeling on what was a historic season in Knoxville. It, and it was uh, just kind of over in a flash. You know, I, I was driving back from Birmingham, so I think I maybe watched one inning when I got home before going to mow the yard. And when I watched inning, Tennessee was up 3-1. to one. I look back down on my phone. Oh, they're still up three to one in the seventh. Look down again in the bottom of the or the, the eighth inning, and it's seven to three, Notre Dame. <laughs> and you're just like, well, they're three outs away from season being over at that point. Uh, kind of shows the nature of baseball. But look, Tennessee had a great season, um, athletic department wise. They their first team ever to win the men's basketball tournament and the baseball tournament in the same year, same school to do that. They were the best team in the SEC up until the Super Regionals, and they become the third straight number one overall seed to not make it out of the Super Regional, to Mm. lose in that round. Uh, It's happened now three straight times, and look, to not make it to Omaha, that's disappointment for a team that was so great all regular season and dominated the SEC tournament. They won all their games in the Regional, and then they have a, a, a Super Regional where, let's face it, and Tony Vitello said it after the game, and I applaud Tony Vitello's honesty with it, there was no luck of the Irish in that. Notre Dame was a better team all, all weekend, and he took full blame. He said, I did not put my team in the best position to win. And they asked, well, what specifically are you talking about? He said, every decision in the final three innings that I made was wrong and lost our team the game. I'm looking forward. Every pitcher I went to, everything I didn't do, the pinch hitters I didn't bring up, everything that I did was wrong in those final three innings. I'm looking forward to getting more into it. Uh, I think the way fans reacted to it and some of the questions that came out of it. I I saw one legitimate question from somebody legitimate. Is this the most hateable college team ever? Hello, have you ever heard of Duke basketball? Every version of it ever? Have you ever seen Notre Dame play football? 
Did you see Miami football in its prime? You think UT baseball? Well, did they ask the did most they ask hateable college, college team or college baseball college team? College team. Well, they may have been speaking in the. I would hope they're asking that in the terms of college baseball. They were not, and not college well, everywhere. They left out a key word, if so, because yes. they're well, overestimating the their influence. Here's the thing that I want people to understand about college baseball: there, Tennessee could have gone out there and played beanball with everyone, grabbed their crotch at opposing coaches, thrown a rosin bag at an assistant coach at third base, thrown mustard bottles into the opposing dugout, and they still wouldn't be the most hated team in college sports history because it's a college baseball team. And that is so far down the pecking order of interest in even college sports. It's below women's college basketball. So it's impossible to reach that. Now, if the question was, is this the most hated college baseball team ever? I don't know the history well, we of college, the history baseball, of college well enough, baseball enough. But Nobody that, does. At least right. that's a legitimate question to throw out there, I would think. Yeah. College sports, you're right. There, there's no way. Just by the nature of the sport and its lack of popularity. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Uh, speaking of the Tennessee Volunteers, we have the former football head coach, former athletic director, about to join us. Philip Fulmer is next on Outkick360. The future of college sports could head in so many different directions right now. It's a topic we could have literally every day on Outkick 360. We broadcast live from 6th and Peabody in downtown Nashville with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, both of those brands got behind the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame golf classic that took place last week and was a huge success and, and helped in anticipation for their induction ceremony that will be taking place next month on July 23rd, downtown here at the Omni Nashville. Tickets at tshf.net. And they'll be honoring the classes of 2020, 2021, and 2022. And on the board and the president of the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, the director is Philip Fulmer, former AD and head coach at the University of Tennessee. And he joins us now by phone. Coach, thank you so much for the time. Hope you're doing well. And I am, buddy. Thank you very much for that plug for the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. I'm actually the chairman, and and our good friend Brad Willis is the president, and 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 has just done a fantastic job. Particularly coming out of COVID, you know, everybody struggled for those couple of years there, and uh, he he's just done a fantastic job. We went we went virtual and had lots of success. Found some other sponsors and things, and honored you know thirty or so individuals and. Now we're going to get them all together along with this this 22 class and celebrate them again in August. So thanks for the plug. No doubt. Uh, I, I saw a photo with you and, and some of your former players at, at that tournament. Um, Al Wilson still has that intimidating look to him. I don't know if I've ever seen the man smile on camera, uh, but no, no need to uh, in this photo. He, he looks like he could still strap it up and go. He, I probably could. There was a, several really great guys there, Chad Clifton from there in Nashville and Ramon Foster came by and played and some other guys from other, other schools. It was, it was everybody coming together to pull together, to have a good time. And thanks to our sponsors and our golfers that, that made it special. Philip Fulmer, our guest here on Outkick 360. Coach, we, we have been having big discussions about the future of college athletics, future of college football. You and I have discussed this at an event earlier this year. Um, from, from the AD hat or the coach's hat, whichever one you want to take it, how, how crazy and chaotic is the sports landscape right now as you look across and, and see where we're headed? 
Jonathan, it's it's just very, very crazy. And and the truth of the matter is nobody really knows for sure where this all will land. Uh, you know, we spent 150 years uh, doing it one way, and then a matter of a couple months, it just completely changed. And the dynamics of the Supreme Court decision and the government getting involved and all the lawsuits that the NCAA was fighting and fighting off and and then the ADs, I, I, I feel really sorry for them because they're stuck in the middle. And and I know they want to get back under control, but they also don't want their university or themselves sued either. So it, it'll take some time. Our, our, our commissioners have to get involved. The ADs have to give them direction as to what they want. And I think in a matter of a couple of years, and we'll never put the genie back in the bottle. I can say that. I mean, for for what we know of of college athletics, for like I said, for 150 years, that, that's probably gone. But being involved in the high school world and recruiting and and paying kids to come, basically paying kids to come to campus, I'm I'm not sure we'll be there in a couple of years. What does the new leadership of the NCAA need to look like, and what do you expect it will look like? Well, yeah, yeah, I'm not even sure the NCAA will be the the leading body of, of college athletics, or at least for college football, you know, going forward. There's all kinds of conversations being had, you know. Um, do they do they bow up and the government help them be uh, be in control? Um, you know, that certainly is one scenario that could that could happen. Probably the easiest. Is there a group of a group of athletic directors and commissioners that decide to break away from the NCAA in football? That's real. That's out there. Um, and then something in between, you know, somewhere. Uh, the the fallout of this is concern. Biggest concern for me. My two daughters both played uh, athletics. One softball at Tennessee, and other was a diver for four years at Tennessee. And uh, they were walk-ons, but they had just tremendous experiences. And my concern is that the dollars end up going to certain sports and certain people in those sports are most of the dollars. And what happens to the non-revenue sports and, and um, how, how are they going to continue to be supported? And by Title IX mandates, they have to be. But do they just go away? In general, I, that's that's that would be my biggest concern. There's a fear out there, and you can sense it from other conferences about the SEC, especially after the move to bring in Oklahoma and Texas. And coach, it feels like these other conferences are bowing up against the SEC to protect their own interest. Do you believe that Greg Sankey and the SEC owes it to college athletics? owes it to college football to play ball with every other conference, even in this time of uncertainty, or is it on Greg Sankey to simply protect the interests of the Southeastern Conference and do whatever is necessary to make the SEC the power for a long time, even if that includes forming some sort of super conference that has run by Greg Sankey and the SEC? Well, Greg Sankey's mandate from the presidents is to 
be, take care of the Southeastern Conference. And right now it's under the auspices of the NCAA. Um, Greg, Greg's a great guy and he's a, he's a, he's a obviously really smart guy. Um, does, does that happen? It, it, it certainly could. Uh, and I, I don't think it, because he wants it just to be the SEC. I think he wants college football to be able to control its own destiny. And, um, I mean, it's real. It's it's absolutely real that there may be a super conference out there, you know, in a couple of years. Philip Fulmer with us on Outkick 360. Are, do you favor the nine-game schedule? That's the other big discussion right now across the conference. If, if you were at that meeting, how would you have uh, lobbied one way or the other? <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I, I probably would be okay with the nine-game schedule. Uh, you, if you're not having divisional play, that's the only way it really it can work, I, I think. Um, you know, I, I, we at Tennessee enjoyed most of my time there playing big non-conference games. And those go away in some sense over a period of time. They'd go away because of the challenge of playing playing non-SEC nine games. Uh, so we just – kind of need to know that that's that's at least part of the, what the coaches are going to want to have happen if if it ends up nine games so the divisional i mean excuse me the um uh, intersectional play probably wouldn't be there as as prevalent transfer portal seems like it's going to basically create uh the equivalent of nfl free agency how much would that scare you as a coach to have to re-recruit your own guys or go in there to replace guys yeah. uh, who who you lose? Yeah, the dynamics of name, image, and likeness, and the transfer portal coming up the same at the same time has made it impossible for the coaches and athletic directors to to manage. I mean, you are day, daily recruiting your own kids to stay there, and at the same time, you're watching the portal. To see how you know who can help me, uh, and I, I mean you're making you're making it a absolutely a true business. The coaches will have to make a decision as to if a guy's third team is a good kid and he's a guy that you think is good for the program, but you know can I afford to keep him if there's this kid that's in the portal that could come and start for me? As a, as a, as a, as at his position. So people say, well, you know, you shouldn't push him out. But the truth of it is, if you're going to make it a business, it's, it's business. And um, that's a challenge. I mean, that's, a, that's not what college athletics meant to be originally, I, th- I don't think. I don't think any coach enjoys asking the kid to leave his program, you know especially if he's a good kid. And, and even though he's might not, as you recruited him. So you kind of have to, you know, take care of him, but that that'll stop. If we go on to this thing where every, every day you're trying to manage your roster to compete for a championship. National championship winning head coach at Tennessee and former athletic director, Philip Fulmer, our guest on outkick 360 coach. Were you more surprised when Nick Saban, called out specific schools, including Texas A&M, 
and speaking to a big group of people publicly, or were you more surprised when Jimbo Fisher called an emergency press conference yesterday to go fiery pulpit old school preacher on Nick Saban for doing so? <laughs> well, both of them are real competitors and, um, you know, coach Saban's kind of the dean of the, of the, of all of college sport, college bat football. And, um, you know, he probably believed what he said. Uh, I know Jimbo probably believed everything that he said back. It just it made a great week for you guys. Is all I can say. <laughs> I don't think Sankey probably appreciated and everybody you know else, but um, it's just just you know one of those things. I will say this about the NIL, and I, I'm not going to. This is as far as I'm going to go with it so don't don't be picking at me other questions or whatever but but uh it's it's leveled the playing field uh from that standpoint of uh for for schools that that um may not have you know been involved with um with things anyway so <laughs> it's made it better for some and and probably level the playing field. Philip Fulmer, our guest. Uh, speaking of recruiting, uh, you, of course, recruited Peyton Manning. You played against Archie Manning. What do you think it's like for Arch Manning going through the recruitment process in this era of college athletics? And how did the Manning family approach Peyton's recruitment? And I'm assuming it's likely similar to Arch right now. Yeah, you know what they they have they have a plan. I, and I haven't talked to Cooper about this. I I have a little bit with Peyton just just in general, um, but I mean those folks know know the ropes about, around college athletics. They know a lot of people. They they can find out information that they want to know as to you know stability of programs and longevity of coaches and. All those things more than most, you know. Archie, Archie's so, and the family, just the whole family's so well respected around the country and the world, you know, for that matter. And uh, they've done every, they've done everything right. And you just know that this young man will do it right as well, and his family. And uh, whoever gets him is getting a really, really prized quarterback and person. And and you know, piece of the, of the Manning family. So, well, good luck to who. I, I, I don't know. If, don't really know if Tennessee's in it or not. You know, it's kind of. But there's a lot of good schools around the country too. Yeah, Tennessee not in. You know, well, I'm sure Chad will ask you about Nico, their their five star in a moment. Uh, but it, we we brought this correlation up because last week the, the news came out that Lloyd Card's grandson is going to Notre Dame and we we discussed what it must be like growing up in the Carr family and not going to Michigan with all of the background for his father and his grandfather and I brought up well Philip Fulmer competed against Archie Manning uh, whenever Tennessee would face Ole Miss and was in the living room recruiting Peyton when Archie Manning and Olivia are there, uh, and I know Cutcliffe was with you for that too, uh, but mm -hmm. I, I would imagine it's a it's a similar vibe where you're 
initially you're probably thinking he's leaning one way and then you go and, and make the pitch to make sure he ends up in Knoxville. Yeah. Um, they never really gave us any kind of indication of anything that they were coming to Tennessee. You, you felt like the visit in Knoxville went well, really well. And Peyton had done his homework on our history. And, and I can, I can assure you that Arch and his fan Cooper and the family have done all the homework on the schools that they're looking at. And in the end, you know, it's a, it's a business kind of decision, but they also want to be, you know, happy and, uh, and excited about where they're going. And, and, um, in, in our case, you know, the, the home visit couldn't have gone any better uh, after getting past uh, Olivia wanting to know how well I knew Steve Kiner. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the Archie Who game is what is what Coach Arch- Fulber is, is referring to there. Was there was there a big clue anywhere along the way, Philip, where you felt like, Oh, I feel like we're in pretty good place or where you felt like, uh Oh, this isn't, isn't going very well. It was always, it was always positive. It was, there was no name, but there also was never this strong coach. You know, I like this receiver at, in Oklahoma, you know, named Marcus Nash. Would you recruit him? And yeah, you, so yeah. you see what I'm saying? Yes. He never really gave us, you know, any, any just strong indication until he called me in the middle of the night and said, coach, I'm coming. And the next day he's on the phone, um, helping us recruit that receiver in Edmond, Oklahoma <laughs> and, and a bunch of other guys followed him. So he saw, he saw that we were in a good place to help him achieve his goals. And, and at the same time could enjoy Knoxville and, and, uh, you know, the size of the community and the people in the community, because Archie had a lot of relationships all over and Peyton made a lot real fast and family, uh, family loved it. So well, there, you're speaking there of the momentum of recruiting after getting the quarterback. That's what uh, Chad Nico's doing right now for Tennessee. He's helping yeah. call people up. Yeah. Marlon Nico part because he's, you know, he's the better he's surrounded players. He's surrounded with a better, chance he has to be successful as well so yeah I, I, and I feel like you know comparing it to the the CJ Carr situation it's much less shocking when it happens today as when it happened in you know 1993-94 when you brought in Peyton Manning that someone would you know not spurn their family personally but their family lineage with sports and a school to go somewhere and then I look at, at the Nico Iamaleava situa- situation coach and I think it is so imperative now if you're going to be a major player in college football to identify, find, and land that five-star quarterback and get that player in the fold early and have them help you recruit uh, for the next two years and bring in other guys. Do you feel like it's changed a lot more in that direction since you've been coaching? Well, yes. It's changed with the social media and, and those kind of things. It's funny, I was... I was with um, Jamal Lewis and and uh, a whole bunch of them, Peerless and Peyton and 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 we were we were laughing. I think it was in my box at one of the ball games. They came in and we got to laughing about the recruiting. And uh, Jamal says, "Well, I didn't know Travis Henry had committed to Tennessee at all." 
until I got on the elevator with him when we checked in. Gibbs <laughs> <laughs> <It's> Hall. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a lot different. Everybody knows who's everybody's recruiting. And, you know, there's a lot more hype around it, if that's the right word. Um, you know, but, the, you know, you still got to you still got to come in and prove yourself and, you know, and 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 be a good teammate and all those things and, and be be as good as you can be and, and help. But you're right. Helping them recruit help helps everybody. Anyone that's and I think, I think Josh done a great job with that. It looks it looks like. You know, now I haven't seen one videotape on anybody they're recruiting, but just looking at the, what what they're doing, it seems to be a a really good good start of recruiting. And you've, I know you've you've met and been talked with Danny White often. I don't I don't know how often, but multiple times. I, and and you think everything's on track there? I do. I like I like where we are. You know, right now, I'd like to think we left them a reasonably good foundation and people working together and those kinds of things. But I think they've done a super job of coming in and, and taking what we are and what we have and maximizing it. And, 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 and um, you know, in every way, I mean, we just won the, uh, the all sports trophy trophy national, you know, and that's always a, a good sign of a healthy program. If you're in the top 10 of that, particularly when we only have, we have fewer sports than, than most, or is the West Coast at least. So yeah, I think it's it's in a great place, and there's challenges. The you, the NIL is a challenge, the transfer portal is a challenge, finances in this this day and age is a challenge, and you know uh, the economy. And I mean, there's so many other things, you know. But COVID seems to have gone away. You know, uh, the social issues, you know, around the country, it seems to have settled and. And now they've got a lot to look forward to. So Tennessee baseball had, had a dominant season, but they don't make it to Omaha. They lose in the Super Regional yesterday uh, at home to Notre Dame. And you got a lot of people dancing on the graves of Tennessee baseball right now. And you got a head coach and a program that seemingly doesn't care about that as they go about their business throughout, throughout the season. Um, if you're talking with Tony Vitello or you're in Danny White's shoes, are there discussions – when a guy gets kicked out of a game or you get kicked out of a game about harnessing some of that, or do you look at the on-field success and the players signing up to come to that program and think, I don't want to put a gauge on that energy and that emotion going into games. I'm going to let them do what they're going to do. Well, I, I can't speak for Danny or, or you know, I've, I've talked to Tony pretty often and everything or text with him sometimes, you know, uh, he knows what he wants in his program and it's been successful. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that he didn't want to get, get kicked out. You know, uh, it was an, it was an emotional thing that young people or old people too, you know, make it say something to, at, at the wrong time. And, uh, did it, did it really matter in the end? Maybe, maybe not. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but my, my look at it, he's had a phenomenal season, a historic season. And I, I played baseball. I know how baseball tournaments work, you know, and, and sometimes you don't have your very best game and you can't take anything away from Notre Dame. And uh, we certainly didn't play our best game. Uh, but you, you take an error that was made on a pit on a play and 
then the next ball is hit out, you know? So that's how close it is uh, out there. So our fans, I hope, are really proud of what what Tony has done. Sure, disappointed deep down. And, you know, my 97 team was, was probably our best team, or maybe 01, one of those two. You know, and, and we didn't we didn't quite get it done either. And you can go to every college in the country and they've had something like that over their over their history that happens. It just happens sometime. And um, but we did get it done with a 98 team. So go to work, recruit, fill the gaps that you had and go after it again. That's my advice to Tony. That's exactly what I text to him. He'll, he'll, and he knows what he needs, what he wants to do. And maybe he'll handle it differently. Maybe he'll handle it the same. It's, it's up to him. Wondering if you foresee maybe all of these things that we've talked about, NIL, transfer portal, uh, governance issues, um, combining to maybe shorten some careers of, of football coaches and maybe some basketball coaches. Maybe it was a factor for Jay Wright even. Um, I think it was. It was. Uh, where it, it's more than you signed up for, and it was already a year-round job with recruiting. And now, like you mentioned, that the transfer portal is something you've got to monitor year round. You're involved to some degree with this collective, some coaches more than others for, for, for their desire. But there are even more things to monitor year round 24 7. Um, and it's an all consuming job that lends to burnout or makes it less of what most coaches get into it for which is relationship with the kids and coaching them on the field. Is it a less appealing job in many ways than it used to be? You know, it's a great question. I think probably for an older coach that has to adjust to a lot of this, you know, it could be very frustrating. Um, uh, you know, most universities haven't hesitated to hire more people around NIL and they'll have to hire others as we have a little company that we started uh, called uh, athlete licensing company. And, you know, it's kind of for this very thing to take a lot of the back back office work away from, away from the universities if they choose to, to use us. That's, that's a whole other subject, but you know, they'll figure it out how to, how to manage it financially. There's only so many hours that you can work and the coaches are working those already. You know, so maybe you're uh, you change a little bit of of uh, you have to pull yourself away from football a little bit more, or, or if you're the head coach or something, you know, changes. But um, there's no more hours to work than they're working, and uh, the circumstances of what we've got right now will change. Uh, I think over time, I think it'll come back in house. Uh, there are collectives. I don't. I don't know if they'll be there or not. I doubt. Uh, going forward, eventually. I don't. That may be. That may be two years or five years, or maybe. Maybe it doesn't happen at all. And the universities get control because it was the NIL was never meant for high school kids. You know, it was for when kids get to college. These are things that we can do for them to help. And I think the the gist of that was was right and was good. Um, and now it's become an issue of, of basically paying high school kids to come to your school. I don't like that. I don't know of any AD that likes that. Most of the coaches don't like that. I would say, 
unless you've been doing it anyway, so, which we haven't. So. Well, the the great Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame banquet uh, is is back in person. It's at the Omni on Saturday, July 23rd, 6 o'clock start. TSHF.net is the website for tickets if you're in the Tennessee area, uh, around the area, if you're a fan of sports across the state of Tennessee. For instance, uh, this year, Class of 2022, Javon Curse, David Leguan, R.A. Dickey, and others are a part of the Class of 2022. But going back two years since they've had the in-person banquet, they'll be honoring the Classes of 2020 and 2021 as well on Saturday, July 23rd. TSHF.net for more info. Uh, uh, Philip Fulmer has been our guest. He is the chair of the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. Coach, thank you so much for the insight and and, and chat today, and it won't be the last. We appreciate you. Thanks. Always. Appreciate you too. Thank you. All right. There's there's Coach Fulmer, uh, former AD and head coach for the Tennessee Volunteers, uh, and he and, and Brad Willis and others doing great work with the, the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. We'll, we'll unpack the chat with, with Coach Fulmer when we come back. We'll also discuss the championships that are set in the NHL and that's headed into Game 5 in the NBA right now. All that coming up on OutKick 360. OutKick 360 rolls on across the OutKick network. Uh, it's not every day that you have the godfather in studio with you. Peter Kern is here with Farm Folio. Uh, also president and founder of Phi Kern in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. and Maybe his most important accomplishment When he's today. not meeting uh, some high-rise owner in downtown Nashville, he swings by 6th and Peabody. He's always welcome here in studio, and for that we say cheers with our water great to for have Peter him. Kern uh, in studio today. It's great to have him here. He always brings gifts also. So we have some Phi Kern hats no that doubt. he brought with him this no time. Doubt. Always great to see Peter Kern. Um, I'm excited about the Stanley Cup final, believe it or not. Uh, Tampa Bay going for a three-peat uh, with a chance for what what is the dynasty that I would put up there with any type of dynasty you could look at for that league with how they've won over the last two years and a chance for a third. Going against Colorado, who's averaging over four goals per game and have, has only lost two games this postseason. Yeah. It's, it's going to be quite the matchup, and it starts on Wednesday. It's a good matchup. Mo- most hockey people are saying that the Avs are the best team that Tampa Bay has faced at any point during this three-year mm. span. So that makes it compelling. Look, the Lakers are the last three-peat team in uh, the NBA, and that goes back to what? Um, that was 2000, 2001, 2002? Yeah, or or ended in 03, maybe. I think it was 2000, 2001, 2002 was the three-peat for the Lakers. And Yanks, uh, 98 to 2000. So, I mean, this is something we don't see. So, it'll be special in that regard. And the most interesting thing to me is Tampa Bay is so expert. They've gone down, um, and what they do is they feel out a series and then figure it out. And so they were down to, to uh, Toronto, one nothing, 2-1-3-2, figured it out. They were down to the Rangers, 2 nothing, figured it out. So if this series goes like that, uh, we shouldn't be surprised to see Colorado get a lead while Tampa Bay figures it out. And they've got every confidence as a two-time Stanley Cup winner. They're not going to panic if they fall behind in the series. And Colorado shouldn't get overly confident if it takes a lead because Tampa Bay figures it out. 
I'll tell you what really dampened my excitement about these Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, and the you love final. Canada, and they're not in there. It's not just that. It's the fact that I love the matchup of Edmonton and Colorado. It's a damn sweep. That really bothers yeah. me. Because we had just got done hyping up the NHL, and it was blowout city, and it was a four-game sweep, and that bothers me. Uh, because I really thought Edmonton was going to do something there. And I, I hope this, you know, this series... Much like the NBA Finals looks like it could live up to the hype right now where we are with these two teams, I'm hoping this one does. I need third period ties or one goal game. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. That's what gets well, I need more me than four in the of Stanley them Cup Finals. <laughs> right. I'm going to need more than a four-game yeah, sweep. More than four, yeah. close, late, ideally overtime. The storylines, though, with, with what Tampa has done and how they've gone about each of the last two years with different uh, players, uh, salary cap restrictions, COVID, and now with the opportunity to go through the team. Uh, that other coaches that weren't in the postseason were saying, I, I pity the, the wildcard team that has to face Colorado whenever the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs actually begin in round one because it's going to be a sweep. You're, you're done in nine days. That was the case. And they've made it here with only two losses. And if they win it, they'll be the most oh. under-respected dynasty of the modern era because it's hockey and because it's hockey in Florida. Coming up, Longhorns and Sooners, not long for the Big 12. We'll discuss when they could actually join the SEC next.